0: Did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the Scripture Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Okay, so what's going on here? Let, Let me point out a few Things Before we actually get into comparing the religion of the Jewish leaders and the religion of Joseph of Arimathea, and you could also see that Nicodemus pops back up in the story. If you remember who Nicodemus is, he's the one that came to Jesus by night and asking him, you know, who basically trying to find out who he was and about his about religion or, or about what it means to be born again. Remember, he's the one that said, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? That's Nicodemus, and he came at night. So even Nicodemus is kind of like a secret, a secret Christian. I was going to title this like closet Christian, but I didn't. Anyways, I just thought of that, you know, like there's these secret there's Christians that maybe we don't even know about. We might see people that might even not even look like, or n- might not act like Christians, or we might not be aware that they're Christians because they're so quiet about it. And so, again, I, I hope this encourages you if, if you're like in that camp, and sometimes we can all be. So let's make some observations here. Go back to verse 35 first, because I want to make this point again. This is the first time that John talks to his readers of the gospel about what he's trying to do with his gospel. If you've been here since we started the gospel of John over and over again, I keep reiterating the purpose of John's gospel, which is actually in chapter 20. But I always remind us this is why. John wrote this gospel. He wrote it so that we might believe and know, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And here in verse 35, he pleads with his readers to believe what has taken place because of his testimony. Look at verse 35 with me real quick. So after he's talked about Jesus dying on the cross, John's end then being pierced, he says this or excuse me, after his legs, after they check to see if he has died, he says this in verse 35, and he who has seen has testified. He's saying, I've seen these things, and I'm telling you these things are true. And he goes on, and his testimony is true. So he's like, I've seen it. This is true. This really happened. And he goes on, and he knows that he is telling the truth. It's almost like trying to plead and convince the readers, I saw this. It's true. I know what I'm saying is true. Have you ever had to Tried to convince somebody that what you saw was really true. You're like, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. I mean it. This is what John is saying here. He says he knows he's telling the truth. And why is he telling this truth? Right there at the end of verse 35. So that you may believe. The reason, again, that John is describing these events is so that the people reading them, like us, would believe that they are true. So he's like, my testimony is true. And if that's not enough, he goes on to point out in verses 36 and 37. And this is similar to last week. John pleads to the readers to believe because of the fulfillment of prophetic scripture. Look at John alludes to two prophecies here in verses 36 and 37. Look at the first one in in verse 36. He says, these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. Remember in our story, and I read a little bit earlier that the Jewish leaders wanted the and we'll talk about this more in a minute, they wanted the thieves and Jesus to be taken off the cross. They didn't want to leave them up there for it was breaking the commandments of God. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So normally when somebody was crucified, they were left up there for a few days because it took that long for them to die. You see, somebody that was crucified pretty much died of asphyxiation. They couldn't breathe anymore because what they would do is they would have to push up with their feet. They were sitting on like on a little pedestal or standing there, and they would push, up on their, their, push their body up with their feet to, to get breath, to breathe. So what would they do to prevent that? They would they'd go and break their legs. So the two thieves on the, either side of Jesus were still alive. In order to kill them, they had to break their legs. And they eventually suffocated to death. But when they went to Jesus, Jesus was already dead. Remember last week, and, and especially just in verse, th- verse 30, he said, It is finished, and he gave up his spirit. Jesus gave him. They didn't kill him. Jesus gave up his life on his own. He died early. And so that's why it says here in the scripture that not a bone of him shall be broken. That was fulfilling prophecy. In Psalm 34, and you could turn there with me if you'd like. This is where that prophecy takes place. Psalm 34, verse 19 through 20. Obviously, King David is speaking of suffering here about himself prophetically. But the New Testament writers take this scripture and apply it to Jesus Christ. In Psalm 34, 19, verses 19 and 20, it says this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. And obviously, Jesus is a servant of the Lord and not one of his bones is broken. The New Testament writer, John, says this is applying to Jesus himself. Another thing I want to point out that this could be alluding to is remember, Jesus was presented to us in the first few chapters of John as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was going to be the final Passover lamb, lamb. But did you know this, that the lambs, the Passover lamb, the bones on the lamb were not to be broken either. So this could be a way of John showing us here is the real Passover lamb, the final Passover lamb, that his bones were not broken either. And this is talked about in Numbers chapter nine, verse 12. Let me read this to you. This is about the Passover lamb about their bones not being broken. It says they shall leave none of it until morning, meaning the lamb, nor break a bone of it, according all according to all the statutes of the Passover, they shall observe it. And I just wanted to point that out. This is one of the ways that John is presenting Jesus Christ as the final Passover lamb. He fulfills all these prophecies. Remember the the Old Testament is pointing to the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But that wasn't the only scripture that John alluded to. Going back to our text now, look at verse 37. He uses another scripture to give us evidence that Jesus truly is the Christ. He says this, and again, another scripture says, they shall look upon him who they pierced. Remember, the soldiers, to verify that Jesus was dead, They stuck a spear in his side and blood and water came out. And John is saying that this was done also to fulfill scripture. And that scripture, if you'd like to see that, is in the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And this is talking about right before the destruction of Jerusalem. But again, John takes that scripture and shows that it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Look at this. 12, Zechariah 12:10 it says, and I will pour out on the house of David, meaning Israel and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. When did that take place at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Right. God sh- poured out his grace on Israel. Then for now, all men can come to him and look at what this says so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. So here's an Old Testament passage pointing to the crucifixion. If you look at that again, look at what it says. They will look on me. Who's speaking? God. They will look on me whom they have pierced. Who was pierced on the cross? Jesus, who is God. I thought that was interesting. He says, they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him. So again, John using these Old Testament verses, prophecies to show that Jesus truly is the one that was prophesied. He is the Messiah. And again, these points are stressed. So the readers of the gospel may believe that John's testimony is true, that Jesus demonstrated he is the Messiah of God. And as I've been saying over and over again, I'm banging this drum. This is the purpose of the gospel according to John. And this has been his purpose. So with that said, so this is his purpose. He's trying to show us who Jesus Christ is and demonstrating it through his the eyewitness testimony and the scriptures. Now, let's go to what I really want to point us to this morning, and that's uh, the religion of the heart. Let's first look at the religion of the, the Jewish leaders. Go to verse 31 where we started, where I started reading. Let me read this once again and then we'll, we'll go into some background and talk about what's going on here. So then the Jews, because it was a day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross of the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, they asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So, again, the problem here that Jewish religious leaders have is that they could not leave somebody on the cross overnight, especially on the day before Passover. This was not allowed according to God's law. And that's stated in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. So, in Deuteronomy 21, uh, verses 22 and 23, this is what it says. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day, for he who is hung is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. So they're following the command of God. God says if somebody is is worthy of death, and they're hung on a tree. They're not to be left there overnight. Why? Because it defiles the land. They did not want to defile their land. Do you, I hope you see the hypocrisy and irony in this statement. First of all, let me point some things out here. Stay here in, in Deuteronomy. Jesus was sinless and committed no crime. Think of that, right? Was there a crime that Jesus committed? Even Pilate tried to say, hey, I find no fault with this man. So even according to their law, if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, Jesus has committed no sin worthy of death, yet they kill him. Not only that, I also find it interesting that they didn't want to profane this holy day, right? This is the Passover, one of the highest days of the Jewish religion. They didn't want to profane it by leaving Jesus on the cross. But they did kill the Lord who made that day holy. Think of that. This is the holy day. Who made that day holy? The Lord did. And who did they kill? The Lord. And they didn't want to profane the land either. Hey, this is the holy land that Lord God gave us. But they're killing the Lord who gave them that land. Do you, you see what's going on? This total hypocrisy. They worshipped their religion and not their Lord. They left God out of their religion, as a matter of fact. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said about people who uh, ultimately push God away and worship something else. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, when the Apostle Paul is talking about how people are pushing God out and living against him, that he finally gives them over to their fleshly desires. And look at what it says. For they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is exactly what the Jewish leaders were doing. They were pushing God out, and they were worshiping the religion instead of God. And God speaks of this and chastised the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament for practicing the religion in such a way. They were living in sin and they were not worshiping God, yet they tried to continue to worship God like, they, like nothing was wrong. And this is one of the, the, uh, the, the best chastisements that I, that I can find of the nation of Israel. Turn with me to the book of Amos. if you're like me, you're like, I got to find that (laughs) Amos chapter five, verses twenty one through twenty four. So here, the nation of Israel is in the midst of total rebellion against God, living contrary to the the God that they propose to worship. Just like here in our text this morning and look at what God says to the prophet Amos in Amos five, starting in verse twenty one. He says, I hate And I reject your festivals. So here the nation was continually practicing their religion. And this is what God is saying about it. I hate and I reject your festivals. Nor I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings. And your grain offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of. Of your harps. So here they are practicing their religion, doing all that God has commanded them to do. They're bringing their certain types of offering to God, and God hates it. He says, take it away from me. I, I don't accept it. As a matter of fact, your worship is just a bunch of noise to me. Take it away. He's not even listening to them. God has left them, and they don't even know it. Why? Look at what the next verse says in verse twenty four but let let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream, so they were participating in injustice like they did here in John chapter nineteen, right the injustice of crucifying the Lord, and they did not practice righteousness, they were doing what was wrong, and because they were living in such a way, and not just that he did it once or twice. I don't want you to think, wow, man, if I if I've done something wrong, God is saying that to me. He doesn't accept anything of mine. No, these people were totally practicing it. They were living hypocritical lives. They had one foot in the world and one foot in the synagogue, so to speak. And God is saying that is not true religion. You can do all these religious things and it means nothing to God. And so that's what he's saying in Amos to ancient Israel. And you may remember earlier in some of the other Gospels that Jesus himself says these same things or similar things to the Jewish leaders. Let's look at a few spots where he does that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. And we're going to look at verses 23 through 28 So Jesus is scolding the religious leaders for their hypocritical religion. Look at what he says. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. So they're participating in all these little religious things, but they're missing the big thing. He says you've neglected the weightier things of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others so it's okay that they're practicing the religion he's saying but you're doing it without living it it's all a big show for everybody to see the jewish leaders lived their religion loud and they let everybody know about it so everybody could see how religious they were And Jesus is saying, no, you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, which were justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he calls them in verse 24, you blind guides, you strain at a gnat, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and in self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, and inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy And lawlessness. This is the epitome. Of what's going on here in John 19. They want to take Jesus off the cross. Because they want to celebrate their Passover. But yet they have just crucified their own Messiah. They want to look religious. They like doing religious things. But inside they do not practice justice. Mercy. They practice lawlessness. Let's look at one more time. Where Jesus has an encounter with the religious leaders, and go to Mark 7. So Mark chapter 7, and let's look at verses 6 through 13. And I would say when you have time, read the entirety of Mark chapter 7, where Jesus continues to blast the religious leaders. Uh, Mark 7, starting in verse 6. He says this, And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God you hold to the traditions of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you is or korban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his mother or father, thus invalidating the word of God by your traditions, which you have handed down, and you And you do many things such as that. Again, they were this instance, they were putting their traditions, their religious traditions over what the word of God actually said. Again, to appear religious before men. So, again, I hope you get a a good understanding of the religion of the religious Pharisees was all an outward show. God did not accept any of it. They were the, the most the loudest people that would pray. They would uh, they would wear religious garb so everybody knew who exactly they were. But God sees the heart and that's comforting for those of us that might be thinking, hey, I don't outwardly show that I'm a Christian all the time. You know, maybe I don't speak up and uh, maybe I don't wear the Christian T-shirt or listen to Christian music all the time or something like that. But God sees your heart. That could be a plus and it could be a minus. Because you could be the most religious person, but God sees your heart. You know, I could be up here or this. Don't point me out. Another pastor, not at our church, <laughs> preaching the word of God with boldness and proclaiming it loudly. But God sees his heart and he's calling them a, a blind that the blind person is leading the blind. I'm not picking up on our, picking on our worship team either, but you, they could be leading worship up here and not even know God. They could be leading worship for the sake of worship. Or like, hey, I'm going to be up here because I don't really want to sit out there. I don't know what it is, but God sees the heart. Back in again, go back to Mark seven, look at verses 14 through 15, because now this makes a transition to the to Joseph of Arimathea, and I want to use this as a springboard to point to him. So after Jesus says these things. To the religious leaders in Mark uh, 7, look at verse 14. He says, after he called the crowd to him again, and he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you and understand. So he wants to teach them something about what he's just told the religious leaders and calling them out of their hypocrisy. He says, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of a man are what defiles the man. So the religious leaders were saying, hey, why don't your disciples wash their hands and participate in all these cleansing things and do what we do to be religious? And he's saying those things don't make you clean. It's what's inside that makes you clean. And it's what inside that makes you dirty. Because God sees your heart. All of us could be fooling each other in this room this morning, but only God truly knows where we are with him. So it's not what's what's on the outside which demonstrates you're a believer or even a non-believer, but it's what's on the inside. But as we'll see with Joseph of of Arimathea, is whatever's on the inside of you is going to come out, and that will show us who you really are. That will show you who you really are as well. So with that said. Now let's go back to our text in John uh, chapter 19. And let's take a look at Joseph of Arimathea again. And Nicodemus. I don't want to leave Nicodemus out. But let's look at the religion of Joseph of Arimathea. Because this is evidence of true faith. And we're going to learn a few things about him. So what do we know about him? Going to our text. Starting in verse... Uh, 38 after these things joseph of arimathea being a disciple of jesus but a secret one for fear of the jews so even though he was afraid of the jewish leaders and i'll tell you why in a minute john points out that he is a true disciple of jesus what was he afraid of well he was probably afraid of being put out of the synagogue and he was probably afraid of losing his position because in the gospel of mark we're told that joseph of arimathea was a prominent member of the council in the sanhedrin he was in charge of political and judicial courts he was one of the people on the council so he was very high up in the nation of israel he was a political leader a judicial leader So he had a a very high position that if he would have spoke up and said that he truly believed in Jesus, they would have thrown him out and he would have lost everything. So that's why it says here he was a secret one for fear of the Jews. So he's a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Also in Mark, we're told that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So even though he was in the Sanhedrin, he was looking forward to one day when God would rule their nation again. And just so were some of them as well. But they didn't really demonstrate it when Jesus said the kingdom of God was here. But I would think that Joseph of Arimathea believed it. He says, and Mark tells us he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us, that Joseph of Arimathea was good and righteous, so even though he was a secret believer, he actually lived all those things that we were just show, that I just showed you that Jesus was condemning religious leaders for, not being justice or just, not being merciful, because Luke says he was good and righteous. as a matter of fact, he even tells us that he did not consent to the plans and actions of the other Jewish leaders when they were planning to convict Jesus. He didn't consent to it. Now, he probably stayed quiet, but he wasn't with them. In his heart, he knew it was wrong. In his heart, he knew that this truly was the Messiah. So being secret did not mean that, hey, he only had religion in his head. It was also in his heart. Because it said he was good and righteous, and in a few, minute, a few minutes we will see that his religion or his belief in Jesus Christ evidenced itself in some works. So it didn't, it didn't just stay on the inside, it actually manifested itself. And I want to point out also, going back to our text now, so that's what we know about Joseph of Arimathea. He was a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was good and righteous and then there's a there's an inserted in verse 39 nicodemus look at this nicodemus who had first come to him by night also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds weight so nicodemus and this is the only place that's mentioned about him the other gospel writers don't mention him but he was right there with uh, joseph of arimathea and even early on the Gospel of John, Nicodemus raises a point to defend Jesus and the other leaders saying, you're not from Galilee also, are you? Meaning, you're not going to become a follower of Jesus. You don't believe he's the Messiah, do you? So I think Nicodemus, in some sense, obviously, I'm going to say he was a secret believer as well. So him and Joseph of Arimathea finally build up the courage to act upon their faith. a matter of fact, Mark tells us, that Joseph, or it's funny. Mark tells us that Joseph finally gathers enough gathers up enough courage to approach Pilate to ask for the body. John doesn't tell us that here. He just says he went to Pilate. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. But um, Mark tells us that he had to gather up the courage. He was afraid. He probably knew was what was at stake because by him going and asking for the body might have finally exposed him for who he truly was. His secret faith was finally going to come out. And so him, along with Nicodemus, they go and ask for the body of Jesus. But why did they ask for it? Because they wanted to honor God the way he truly needed to be honored. Look at verse verse 40 of our text. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it with linen wrappings, with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, uh, excuse me, verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been built. The other gospels tells us that this was actually Joseph's tomb that he had bought, that he had made for himself. He had hewn out of the rock on the side of the hill. And they took care of the body of Jesus. They prepared the body for its burial. They spared no cost in honoring the Lord. That the amount of spices was a it says here in our text that it was a hundred pounds weight. That was enough. Or that was what was usually used for royalty. They truly honored the Lord Jesus Christ. They gave everything to him. What was in their heart had finally manifested itself. So they took care of the Lord's body and they placed it in a tomb. And we are told that um, Joseph himself rolled the stone in front of the tomb to seal it. He might have had some servants do it or he might have done it himself. But either way, him and Nicodemus truly honored the Lord at his burial. Something I thought of as well is, you know what? If if Joseph of Arimathea did not keep secret, he would have not been in a position or of a place to approach Pilate in the first place. Then who would have got the body of Jesus? Pilate probably only listened to uh, Joseph because he was in the Sanhedrin. And he respected him. He didn't want any more problems. Hey, just take it. Take Jesus away. But if. Joseph didn't keep secret this whole time. He would have never been in a position to do that. It's interesting to think of. So here we have two examples of religion. You have the group of religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, who were loud and bold and kept metic- meticulous observance of every little law. But inside, they truly did not believe. I mean, here they are killing the Lord Jesus Christ, their own Messiah, And then you have Joseph of Arimathea and even Nicodemus who were quiet and scared. But in their heart, they truly believed on the Lord. So what can we learn? Well, let's look at the negative side first. How can we worship religion and not the Lord? Think of this. So again, the Jewish leaders observed every little law. They prayed the right prayers. They probably sung the right worship songs but they worship their religion and not God. Can we do that? Can we practice our religion out of obligation and not truly believe in God? Our heart's not into it. We only do it because somebody brought us here or because we've always done this. Or if I don't do this, mom and dad might say something. Or if I don't do this, our children might say something to me. Do you practice your religion out of obligation Because that's the way we can worship religion and not our Lord. Or we can also do it this way. We practice our religion and our sin. Not saying that we sin once or twice because we all do, but we practice it. Like the religious leaders back in the day in the book of Amos. They lived sinful lifestyles, but they were religious more than anybody else. And even here, Jesus exposes the religious leaders. They practice all these things, but they forget the weightier things of the law. They live sinful lifestyles and they practice religion and Jesus is saying that is false and hypocritical. They don't care to change their lifestyle. They're like, as long as I do these religious things, then that makes up for all the bad things that I do. And some people live that way and that's not what true religion is. So how can we worship religion and not our Lord? We practice our religion out of obligation. We practice our religion and we practice our sin. Or, we tend to worship religious practices and not the Lord. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Let me give you some examples. So we worship religious practices and not the Lord. We are religious in our worship. We worship worship. Have you ever thought of that? We come to church and i wow, I love the worship and I love the music and I love Izzy's voice. And I, not to pick on you, Izzy. We do love your voice. You, you can love Izzy's voice. That's okay. We just love the band and the way everything goes. Even this morning, I was telling Rafe, man, I missed you last week. Dude. I love when you worship up there and miss the, the, uh, the drums and Rafe shouting out hallelujah all the time. I miss that. I don't worship Rafe, by the way. <laughs> but you, you see what I'm saying? We can worship the worship. Like, it's just cool. And we forget about who we're singing about. That's what I mean when we worship religious practices. We worship worship, or we worship prayer. There are people that I remember someone telling me one time, I was like, hey, man, if you don't pray for like an hour, you know, something's wrong with you. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do anything for an hour, you know. They worship prayer. They put prayer as like the most religious thing that you can do, and they pray all the time, and if you don't pray like this, and you don't pray these words or do this thing, then you're not religious, or you're not, you don't believe in God. They worship prayer. We can even worship our Bible reading and the Bible itself. Some people hold the Bible up as like, man, they won't even open it and read it because it's so holy. You know, they have the big family Bible in their house and nobody ever touches it. Or look, it just, hey, I got that for my wedding and it just sits there. And it got all the names of when they were baptized and when they were married. And it's so holy. We We, we worship the Bible. But they don't actually do what it says Do you see the difference or we're like hey i'm checking off i read my bible today i'm doing the one year plan and i read this chapter and this chapter and i and they worship the bible reading but they don't actually practice what they read or we worship our church or church or doctrines of the church you know we can worship church it's all about church But we forget about the God who gave us the church. We forget about the God who gave us worship. We forget about the God who we can pray to. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can worship religious practices and forget the Lord. Don't do that. So we don't want to worship religion. We want to worship the Lord. Well, how do we do that? We're looking at. Joseph of Arimathea, I want to take just these three things from his life and say this. Number one, he was a disciple of the Lord, which means he followed the ways of the Lord. Now secret, meaning he was a secret, doesn't just mean again that it was all in his head. He just believed it and nothing changed. No, secret meant a verbal secret, but inwardly. Transformation was taking place in his life. Remember, the gospel said he was good and righteous, meaning he did what was right. So it wasn't just a mental thing. So even secret believers do what is right. right? Even if you're a secret believer, I mean, you don't tell everybody you're afraid to come out. You still do what is right. Gradually, what will happen is you will grow in your sanctification, and in your holiness, and you may start to evidence, and other people might accuse you of being a follower of Jesus because of your righteousness. Secondly, how do we practice our religion? We look forward to his eternal reign. Remember it said that uh, Joseph of Arimathea was looking for the kingdom of God. One of the things that distinguishes uh, believers from non-believers is that we actually look forward to the kingdom of God. Not just a better place. We look forward to a place where God will rule and reign. We sung about that this morning. I hope you understood that when he said, come, Lord Jesus, come. Didn't we sing that? Or was that just me in my head? Okay. We were praying for Lord to come. Why? To rule and reign in righteousness. Again, will there be no more pain, no more suffering, no more evil? All that will be gone. Do you look forward to that day? And thirdly and lastly, we give honor or we give him honor that he is worthy of. Remember, Joseph and Nicodemus went and got the body of Jesus. They took it down. They took their time to prepare him for burial, and they put him in a secure place. And to protect the Lord's body. To honor the Lord. Are you doing that? Are you honoring the Lord by giving him everything in your life? Physically, mentally, monetarily is everything the Lord's. Now you can do all those things and be secret about it. You don't have to be public about it. Does that mean you're not a believer? If you don't hold your hands up during worship, you don't pray the loudest, or you don't go to one of the Bible studies, no, not at all. Not at all. But if you believe those things, they're going to come out eventually. And you're going to be accused of being a believer in Jesus Christ. Be careful. You don't want to be accused of that. Not in our world. So how do we practice our religion? Number one, we follow the ways of God. Number two, we look forward to his eternal reign. And number three, we give him the honor he is worthy of. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word We thank you for John's testimony about these things. That they help us to believe on you. We thank you for the witness of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And even though they were secret and may have been afraid to live out loud. In their hearts, they truly knew you and they did what was good and righteous. May we follow that example, Lord God. May we live for you. May we glorify you. And when the opportunity presents itself, may we do that in front of other people. Not for our glory, but for yours. And We ask that you would bless the closing of this service, Lord God, and help us to live for you as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.